Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Horus Heretics. I'm Neil. And I'm William. Uh, today we'll be talking about Deliverance Lost by Gav Thorpe. Um, Will, are you still in Italy right now? I am still in Italy um, and uh, I'm coming back later than I even thought because so my flight got cancelled. But um, yeah, so chances are my audio is still going to be a bit of shit. Um, but uh, I mean, last time it was really having a mare, but this time, <laughs> you know, I think it'll be a bit better. So, um, but yeah, eventually I will probably buy a um, decent microphone again. Uh, but because I think that one may have got, I think it was already a bit broken before I took it over looking back, but I think it may have got further broken um, in transit. So, um, and I don't, I don't think it's fixable, at least not within my capabilities um so yeah uh i hopefully will buy a better one at some point but probably not until i'm back in the uk anyway how do we start with deliverance lost excuse me um it basically starts with um a sort of passage uh that's describing it's obviously been written by an author who is like in the midst of like massive self-doubt and it talks of like the great deeds of humanity but um of recognition of the destruction that is to be wrought upon it so is, it, is this just like the the sort of two pages before the book starts yeah and and i, I thought it was quite interesting until at the end where where it normally says that it's you know by some dramaturge or something <laughs> uh this one is uncredited it's by an unknown person at an unknown time yeah, well, it says, <laughs> just like, what the fuck? No, it does narrow it down to the to it says circa millennium thirty one. <laughs> Sometime in this thousand year period, some person wrote this thing. We think so. Um, anyway, I, yeah, it, it's clearly meant to be Korax, uh, the main character of this book, and the Primarch of the. Raven Guard, who we've only really seen being sliced up before in the past. I just realized, by the way, I've, I've had another mayor here. When um, remember when we were discussing where we were going to stop this part one, and I was like, "Oh, doesn't I?" I looked at it and didn't think there was parts in this book. I thought it was just chapters. Um, so I said, "Well, end of eight looks about halfway through." But turns out uh, there is a part one and a part two. And we're stopping in this today's podcast. We're we're stopping one chapter short of the end of part one. <laughs> <laughs> um, to all new podcasters who wish to get into the game, preparation—that's what you need. <laughs> preparation and planning. That's oh, man, I think. I think it's just like it's that way. We've been we've just been crying out for a book. It just literally is like chapters one to 18 you know what i mean yeah. the whole <laughs> and then when i thought I've i got saw that, my fucking notes <laughs> i convinced myself that that's what it was i should have known of course there's going to be parts anyway part one uh which is after that fragment which yeah i, I read that bit at the start and i was like i don't know what this is about probably we'll find out in due course and then completely forgot about it until you mentioned it <laughs> now and um, so it echoes of Isfahan, right and now uh, this is something we said in favour of this book, in my opinion. Uh, so we start off um, in the you know one of the most dramatic moments of the story, the overarching story so far, when um, or just after one of those moments, I guess, when the the, the sort of betrayal um, on Istvan, I can't remember if it's five or four, but sort of the second stage of the betrayal when um, the the legions that are, you know, purportedly coming to deal with Horus and the and the, the sons of Horus, um, half of them turn around and betray the the legions that remain loyal to the emperor, and there's a, a massacre, the drop site massacre, as they um, call it. Um, yeah, and um, that it sort of starts right in the middle of. Or maybe right at the end of one of the short stories that we read about, where um, the Alpha Legion had sort of allowed uh, this small window of opportunity for this ship 
um, that was coming from Deliverance to be piloted in, to send drop pods down, and to evacuate Korax and the Raven Guard. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was uh, the first time we've ever seen real sort of crossover like that, where you know you you have a bit more information provided by other stories and stuff like that. It's um, it was good. Yeah, as far as that sort of thing goes, I thought it was quite good. But before, sorry, before I make this point, did we? Is, I honestly can't remember. Did this? Did this story fall within the part of the podcast? The, sorry, the podcast episode on that book that um, we fucked up. Well, the sound fucked up on, and we didn't put it out there. I can't remember. Oh fuck! Um, but it we did read it. <laughs> it doesn't really matter anyway, even if it did, because I think this this works. Uh, don't worry. I, I feel like I'm not going to be content until we have that those stories covered at some point. I'm not going through the whole series and having like three short stories missing by the end of this. <laughs> it will be covered in some form and um, whether we can recover that audio or do it again. But um, we'll, we'll do a drunken Christmas thing or something. <laughs> yeah, the lost episode. Um, but uh, no, I was going to say, yeah, I thought that was, that bit was quite well done in the sense of um, as far as that kind of thing goes, like, in it being inessential but still a cool bit of info, extra info if you have read that yeah. you know what i mean like but it doesn't really take away much from this like whole you know this this story which is obviously yeah someone is more likely to probably have skipped the short story and be reading the main books and and then uh, yeah it's it's written well with um those gaps in mind but it doesn't require anything of you to have read before which is the key goal and it's obviously very difficult to do that but I, i'm pretty sure he does it well here so, so yeah the story takes us in then when um after this massacre and i think it's actually about a year after or best part of a year and the um corax and the, the remainder of the um the raven guard have been fighting a kind of guerrilla campaign um against a the 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 heretic forces basically and they've been getting sort of pushed you know and and it comes across that their legion is kind of about you know um or their sort of thing is like not in not necessarily engaging directly in combat you know and and sort of um having more subtle means of defending yourself and things like that um and so they've kind of fought and it's all been like a terribly scarring experience as you can imagine like so so the majority of the legion has been killed um, mm-hmm. Oh, but, it, but it's it, they started with like eighty thousand. Now there are three thousand, so it's proper destruction. Yeah, and and like they're um, so so basically the story picks up and they're they're harking back to like back in the in the Great Crusade. It turns out that um, the Raven Guard had actually been the legion that had brought Istvan. I'm not sure if it was the whole system or just this planet or whatever, like to compliance. Um, mm-hmm back in back in the day i guess so um, they hark back to that a little bit but they um so they, they this is where it connects with the short story in that there's unexpectedly this this ship or or kind of small fleet of ships um that of raven guard that had been told to stay in their home system at deliverance has um jumped over to istvan because this not astartes but this human um, like fleet commander had basically some sort of vision, but they're being they don't really they're him and the space marine commander he told this to who, who brought the ship. Um, they they are not really being very open about that because they think it might be perceived as you know dodgy or witchcraft or something. Um, so but they they basically come and because of that they've been able to pick up the um the Raven Guard, just as they were about to have some kind of last stand against the world eater. Yeah. It was um, really it was really quite good because Bran, who is the command the Astartes commander of that ship, goes to say to Marcus, it's like, right, we're gonna get the Primarch, but don't mention any of this to the Primarch because it'll embarrass me. <laughs> <laughs> Literally said it like that. But you're right, the the Raven Guard have been like fighting this guerrilla war and it's with uh, mainly with the world leaders, friendly stormbirds, and orbital bombardment starts, and that's Bran arriving in his little evacuation window. He sends the stormbirds down, pick them all up, and then away they go. 
Yeah, and, and at some point um, around this part of the story, which again connects with the, the, the short story we talked about, um, we have a, a scene of um, Alpharius on the bridge of Horus's like command ship. <clears throat> and he's sort of dealing with the sort of usual sneering courtiers of Horus, <laughs> like um, um, Abaddon and um, what's his name, Erebus. Erebus is there. Erebus is really doing some like classic worm tongue shit, yeah. you know, um, and, and Abaddon is just being like angry as usual. Um, and uh, But Alpharius is basically like, has a sort of back and forth with Horus and basically um, he's got a plan that he's like, well, let's let this Raven Guard, uh, you know, survive these survivors of the Raven Guard away, but and we'll kind of chase after them to make it look like we're not deliberately letting them go. But also, I've infiltrated um, the <laughs> I've infiltrated a bunch of my Alpha Legion spies into the into the survivors from. Istvan yeah. of the of the Raven Guard through a plot device from um, <laughs> John Woo's face off star <laughs> yes. Nicholas Cage and John Travolta. Um, so yeah, I've got I've got my best man, Caster Troy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they have they have basically like they somehow crept in when like members of the Raven Guard had just died. They kind of, like, scooped them up before anyone noticed, cut their faces off, <laughs> stuck them on members of the Alpha Legion, and then just, like, had them sort of play along as being members of the of the Raven Guard. Um, so. Yeah, just dust, dusted off their hands, just went, it'll do in a pinch. It's a bit <laughs> like him. But, but not only that, they, they make the, the Alpha Legion have a, a gland in their mouth, that they can put a bit of the Raven Guard into and know a bit of their oh, yeah. past. Oh yeah, was... what the fuck that that bit is is fuck. No, that's the plan, and uh, they they think that they the the survivors will go back to Terra and expect them to be given assistance in the form of some form of technology, and then uh, they will be in a position to take that technology from them. And use it in their fight against the emperor. But yeah, I mean that's that's at least the the, the chat he has with, with Horus. But there's some reference here to the Alpha Legion's um, deal with the Cabal, um, and we do get a kind of pretty good weird alien scene here. With this, <laughs> something that's like a ball sort of sphere with a kind of like hand shaped creature. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh, so, but but he but Alpharius kind of so he's basically they are acting on behalf of Cabal because like the Cabal are like well Horus has to win up to this point for the whole universe to be saved, um or something um and uh, but they even defy the Cabal when they say because the Cabal like don't want them to or they say they're going to get this technology for themselves that um that they know somehow that um, the, the Raven Guard are going to get um, and they kind of say, well, no, we're going to take it for ourselves, even though that's not part of the Cabal's plan. But Yeah, they, they, they seem to be sort of trying to forge their own, their own path that I think sort of would make them feel that they weren't being subservient to some, to, to either Horus or the Cabal. They're somehow... You know, because they're the chief spies, they are very good at negotiation and all that kind of banter. Yeah, so so that's basically the the setup, and we do get a little bit of like. So if you remember, if you wasn't to previous episodes or read these books, remember like the the uh, Primarch of the um, Alpha Legion is like it's Alpharius and Omegon or like, it's like they're both the Primarch basically. They're like twins. Yeah, um, they're they're both twins and. They are the same size as the rest of their warriors, I think. And all the rest of the warriors call themselves Alpharius as well. So you never know when you're talking to the Primarch or when you're talking to another Alpha Legion. So um, 
Yeah, and, and there's some scenes with Omegon um, in, in taking on skies, and he is going around in the um, home system of the uh, Raven Guard, which is referred back to a bit throughout this book. And he's kind of he is um, carrying out a plot basically with the the what are they called the Tech Guilds or something. Um, of, yeah, they're basically like a, a store brand mechanicum. <laughs> and they were they were the they were the sort of um, tech dictators of this place before the Imperium turned up. And uh, we'll get a bit to the origin story of the Raven Guard because that is talked about a fair bit. But um, but their role was that they. Um, well, they, they were kind of in charge and they got sort of cast down from that role and the Mechanicum came in in their place um, and they are very resentful of that um, and because they just sort of serve the Mechanicum now. And and um, what's his name? Omegon is uh, in, in a... He's stirring up a bit of discontent. Yeah, he's saying, like, it's time to rebel, Horus will be with you, etc., etc. So that's kind of one plot strand going on. Um, but to sort of back to the main story, I guess. So now we've got uh, Korax and his Raven Guard on board uh, the ship and they're heading towards Terra because they want to tell the Emperor. But they're, they're still in the Istvan system and they, they can't warp out for some reason, not sure why. Um, but there are picket lines of enemy vessels and um, so they're needing to use their uh, their shiftiness and their all Korax's cleverness in order to get away. Uh, and also, they need to go invisible too. <laughs> now, that is a piece of technology that's genuinely useful. And all of the rest of the Primarchs have just allowed the Raven Guard to keep invisibility <laughs> to themselves yeah what the fuck i mean to be fair way, the author does try to kind of you know um, he does try to kind of caveat the power of this thing by being like well you have to kind of you know to balance between if you go invisible you kind of losing your you can't use power in other areas and stuff like that but yeah um invisibility but all the other primarchs would like to have the opportunity you would think you would like this <laughs> like the option Exactly. It's like Korax. I'm not saying we'll use it all the time, but I like the chance, brother. You know. <laughs> so anyway, they uh, they use some invisibility, and they they're kind of getting shot at. Um, but uh, they do a few cool maneuvers and stuff, and they and Korax kind of pulls off a trick where um, he. Uh, goes like maneuvers around the ships right after goes into the warp at kind of close range to another ship um which to an enemy ship i mean which drags it into the warp before its geller shields were up which protect from the warp and then they all got kind of um demon you know eruptions and stuff like that um yeah i was it was there was a lot of good um nasty ripping and uh unpleasant deaths for these um word bearers i think it was yeah so um then there's like uh, a good long time in the warp going back to terra and there's some good sort of you know hard admin that's done <laughs> on the ship you know where they're all like we've lost 90 percent of the legion we've lost all our tanks all the heavy armor um most of our legion armor is like just battered bits that have just been thrown together and repaired and scavenged and then there's um a bit about uh, this this guy called Straden Beinolt who is a tech marine and I don't think we spent any time with tech marines and the only real thing I know about them is that they have a big sort of crane arm on their back <laughs> and that was always really cool um but he sort of falls to the task of like repairing and restocking and scavenging weapons and armor so that the uh the legion if they do come under attack can sort of hold their own for a bit at least and i was hoping for this to go on for a bit more because i was just like that i just like that idea of this little crew of tech marines 
just trying to make do you know it'd be a bit like the a-team's plan you know where they're all like just hacking together shit uh, face man is like is uh welding some piece of metal to the van and stuff i was just looking forward to that and not much of it uh was was forthcoming i'm afraid yeah so yeah but i mean that's a good point of detail they're all kind of yeah, they've been wearing armor that they just had to pick up on the fly when they were running around on Estevan. So they're they're in a pretty disheveled state, obviously, physically, but also kind of you know they're pretty demoralized. And um, Korax makes some efforts to kind of um, you know boost their morale. And this is like one of the points where I thought like this is one of the like worst bits in terms of Korax's character, where it was just like. I don't know, just like, it just felt like it could have been any one of the Primarchs and he's just making a big speech about how to get get revenge on the traitors and everything, and it includes some, well, particularly, like, bad wine, which says they tried to kill us, tried to eliminate the, sorry, tried to annihilate the Raven Guard and erase us from the pages of history, but they made one mistake, they failed, and it's like... <laughs> Failing yeah. isn't a mistake within the overall thing. You know what I mean? It's like you, it is the culmination of <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't. You're not like I hit that exam really hard, but I made just one mistake. I failed. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind no, of no. The, it, it's right. There's a there's a film of um, oh god, some video game movies. Silent Hill or, or it might be like the far cry movie or something it's it's an absolutely terrible film um and one of the the guy goes why do you want immortality because there, there's this like immor- immortal thing and he's like why do you want immortality and he goes to live forever <laughs> and and you think no that's a description of what immortality <laughs> is that's not that's not an answer and in the same way that's what Korax just did. They did one. Th- <laughs> they only did one thing wrong. Everything. You know? <laughs> um, I, I noticed that myself. It was weird. Conversely, there was quite a bit that I quite enjoyed, where he was also trying to boost morale. <laughs> like, we had a lot of fun, kind of, with um, in the early books, and and in a lot of these books, to be fair, like laughing at moments that are meant to be like great quality banter between the marines <laughs> just really shite jokes yeah um, and this is this is funny where like like as i say korax korax are trying to like get the spirits up amongst the troops um and they kind of you know he, i think he makes a joke um he makes a joke at some point um and then like this other guy chips in i award no doubt fulgrim has a few fancies too that we could help him with um says replied sergeant nestle earning more laughs you can be sure of that, Lime Kratto. You can be sure," said Korax, laughing along with the poor joke. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just love that. I re- actually, no, I, re- I really like. I really like that too because, like, it shows. It shows the author knows that, you know, they, they, these people do still need to laugh and get along because they've been like hurt and their brotherhood has been shaken but they're not any crack you know what i mean they're not good fun people <laughs> so um their their jokes are all bad and so that's the sort of way of him saying you know this is all terrible banter but still you know they need it well exactly it just it, like rather than it just being a shit joker you're like that was that was bad you're like it's properly contextualized and it's somehow it's yeah. kind of good yeah <laughs> in the right somehow it's it somehow like invites you into this room full of broken people who need to laugh you know who need to find some way to have togetherness again because otherwise they would just be you know a broken collection of individuals yeah um another thing that we learn about at this point really throughout the book uh, is the, the kind of backstory of the, or the sort of origin story of the the, the Raven Guard, um, and and you know, um, as I said, there's, there's a few passages about this, um, but to be to be honest, with you, one of the things that I really liked about this book um, was that it was pretty much all uh, in the main story, you know, like, yeah. um, and we've had too many books in the past where it's been like, but you got to remember this whole series 
is a backstory to the main yeah. 40k setting. We've had plenty of books in the series that have felt the need to give us a massive backstory to a segment of this backstory um, yeah. and do very little to advance the the overall plot. And to be fair to this one, um, it's it's sort of it is right in the main story in the, in the sort of dramatic events of the Holy Heresy. Um, but there is some there are some sort of flashbacks. So basically, um, the, the the Raven Guard were founded in this system called the, the Lycaeus. Um, Lycaeus is the um, the moon, which um, is now called Kiavar, or excuse me, is now called Deliverance. And Kiavar, sorry, Lycaeus orbits Kiavar, which is the, the main planet of these uh, tech, uh, tech gang masters or whatever they were called. And um, there's a section where it says that um, this Lycaeus used to be a prison planet for political prisoners until they found deposits on it. And so they put the political prisoners to work and they just stayed there. They had families. Their children became slaves on this planet. And so it became a kind of colony rather than a prison. But it's still still a prison. And they were just, they were mining these elements and, and stuff in order to be used by the Kiavaran tech society. Yeah, so I think it says like there was about 3 million people in this sort of slave prison um you know moon um and they yeah they and that's where that's where um korax sort of manifests after he is um swept across the universe by the chaos powers just after he's born yeah um and he appears as like a, a young boy but you know with he, there there is some quite good stuff of it it, it seemed kind of like uh, an AI coming into existence, you know, or like um, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the um, the internal monologue of the ship's computer system, where uh, he he sort of knows all about language, but he doesn't know how he knows, and he's sort of noticing everything he's thinking for the first time. Um, and it's uh, it's quite good stuff, really. Yeah, so he, he's like developing an incredible rate, both physically and mentally. And he starts, you know, he's he's, he's develops relationships with the and, and is hidden by the prisoners that live on this planet. And um, they start to see him as a as a kind of hope for overthrowing their oppressors, um, and uh, that does eventually manifest in a plan that we, by the time that um, uh, Korax has has grown, um, it does start to manifest in that plan that he's leading the, to break out and free themselves. Um, but... And, and he's, sort of, he's sort of put with a number of different political prisoners, like because they're political prisoners, they're academics, and poets and <laughs> artists and stuff and they try to sort of bring him up into the ways of poetry and stuff and like all primarchs he doesn't see much use in that <laughs> but it's 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 nice that these sort of broken people are trying to instill a bit of sort of culture into him uh, although this is where i started to turn on our friend korax is um when he thinks about their position um, and how they are a prison planet for political prisoners. He thinks that's a pretty good idea. Like having having a, a place where you can put dissidents on another world seems pretty smart. And he thinks he's going to do that. What he's against is the fact that their children also become. Yeah. Um, so he's he's not cool or he's very cool with dictatorships and false imprisonment. He draws the line at serfdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a strong line for him. Just you mentioned the type of people that run this prison, and this like this. I made a note of a dude here who was like, this guy appears in like literally a short paragraph, and I was like, he needs his own book. Um, so it talks about a guy called Dorsus, who is the team leader. So this is when they're starting to put again put together plans, which is as far as this narrative kind of gets in the bit that we've read up till now. 
um, this sort of harking back narrative. And um, but they're kind of they're starting to carry out their plan to, to break out. There's this guy called Dorsus, who's a he's a team leader within these plans. This, he's a middle-aged political poet, appointed by Corvus for his steady he- head and creativity. The others looked up to him and took comfort from Doris's calm demeanor. We all know the plan. The guard, the guards evacuate the block up the block up tower. We break into the arms lockers and take am- ammunition in and out. Nothing fancy. I just thought, what a fucking dude! Like uh, <laughs> a middle-aged political poet who's just like Han Solo, basically. You know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's how I was imagining Doris's. But anyhow, uh, I mean, like, yeah. We should, I, 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 I think like we can sort of leave the backstory of Corax for a bit, but we should say that he learns somehow that he can make, whenever he needs to, he can sort of go invisible himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, because there's a bit where he sort of thinks he's been seen, but he isn't because he sort of has basically made himself invisible. But yeah, in terms of the character of Corax, yeah, I, I mean, the bit that you just mentioned, that does make him sound like a massive arsehole, but like, I'm, I'm willing to kind of put that down to clunky writing um rather than like the intent to portray him as per- i mean they're all dictatorial i guess you know and, and supporters yeah. of it but like as far as primarchs go you know um i'm willing to put that down to the clunky writing because there's bits about him that i just thought were like more interesting than most of the primarchs like when they get back on the ship after being picked up from istvan he actually wants to go he, he sort of goes into this like connecting corridor in the ship and just like sort of sits down on his yeah. own and kind of slumps against the wall and there was just a few little moments like that where just um, uh, I thought he was a more interestingly portrayed Primark than most it's it's just he's he is he has self-doubt which no other Primark really does and uh, introspection as well yeah introspection which, yeah yeah so um, the ship that they're on sort of arrives at Earth and finds the system um, preparing for war and an imperial fist ship comes and inspects them and uh korak says yeah you can inspect us but uh i'm going to land on terra and i'm going to speak to my dad and once it, it, like once again like korax meets malkador with a bunch of custodians on terra and there's like some like it, it, this back and forth friendly meeting but you know wish it couldn't could have been in better circumstances blah 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 and um, Malkador says that it's unlikely the Emperor will meet with you because he's doing his own dark business and uh, that will render Horus's heresy meaningless if it's successful. Um, so the, the Emperor may not be available. But we've got these rooms made up for you. <laughs> Go hang out. Um There'll be a feast for all your men. There'll be sweet meats and roasted meat and stuff. So, and Corax goes to this apartment, uh, which is like made of uh, at a Primark scale. This is the, and there, yeah, sorry, this was fucking cool, but yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, and there are nineteen other apartments. So he's he sort of imagines, probably fairly, that these were designed for Primarchs. And he wonders if it was meant for when the galaxy had been conquered, this would be where they would retire to. Yeah. And he is uh, the only one that we've read about so far who doesn't worry about retirement. He quite liked the idea of um, not being at war anymore. Yeah. And in fact, considered writing a, a political treatise on his home world of deliverance. And this is just another Primarch who wants to be an author. <laughs> but this one wants to be like a fucking political theorist or something, you know? Like, <laughs> he'd, he'd have his own Twitter account. You can just imagine like the Emperor just sitting there and they're all like trying to get his attention about their latest, their latest book. And he's like, yes, yes, great. <laughs> I'm sure it's really good. I'll get to it eventually. Um, but, uh, but yeah, aside from that, like, that was another thing that I thought made him a more interesting um, character than the other Primarchs, in that he actually, like, he saw the appeal of retiring in these sort of plush uh, chambers that had been <laughs> set aside for him. Um, so this basically, these chambers, these sort of 20 villas, essentially, that are um, 
in one of which he is staying is kind of in an it's in the Plata Mountain. It's like underground in, in part of the Emperor's Palace, and but so there's this big kind of area around an underground kind of lake, um, and it's called kind of wet from below the lake, and it was just it was just cool description. I really like some of this description of the Emperor's Palace in this book. This bit being um, one of the one of the coolest. Yeah. Um, and uh, but meanwhile, the the Raven Guard are staying in a kind of like barracks, a kind of dorms um, somewhere else, and and you know they are getting fed and stuff, but they feel a bit like they're being sort of watched over and they don't like it. And and Rogel Dorn is he wants? I mean, him and again, the, the, there actually comes across you know some warmth in the relationship between Rogel Dorn and Korax, but they're disagreeing because. Rogel Dorn wants um, Korax to, to contribute the Raven Guard to the defense of Terra, whereas um, Korax wants to get back out there and sort of do hit and run guerrilla style attacks on the, yeah. the heretics to kind of, you know, slow down their advance. Like, and he's like, you know, you're basically just giving up the rest of the universe and, and, and you know, by sort of besieging, sorry setting up for a, a siege on Terra and it does talk about like what the defences that as they're flying down to the planet all of the defences that have been built by Rogel Dorn and it's all very massive scale stuff as you can imagine um, uh, and again again it does a good job of the language used does a good job of like really making the immensity of the task pretty clear the size of the guns being made the size of the um construction equipment used in the in the production of those guns and stuff it's really uh, it, it really brings the scale home i think it's really great yeah and there's a bit around about here actually where they, they go into a kind of um big a, a grand kind of room of some sort within the emperor's palace and there's like uh Korax is surprised to see that there's windows looking onto the outside there and then it's it's looking down a kind of ravine or something, but on one side of that, there's just it's all built up. And uh, Malkador is like just casually like, Oh, yeah, that's the that's the the city of the clerics or something like that. And, and, it, and it's like, There's there's like however many million, you know, like uh, civil servants in there basically. And like, and then and then like, but Malkadors are. Dorn says that or something and Malkador was like oh that's nothing there's like that's only a tiny part of it in the other this other place there's like the other 75 million yeah. um, you know Clarks and, and so on um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I just love moments in this good honest bureaucrats when this setting just deals with that kind of scale you know <laughs> yeah. um, I love that sort of stuff um, but anyway around about this point so there's this kind of debate and and uh, Korax is saying, look, I want to see the emperor. I've got not, I've got to talk to the emperor. I'm not taking your word for it, Malkador, basically. And then the emperor's like, oh, for fuck's sake! And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes, okay, I'm going to have to take over this carnival. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he takes over Malkador's body. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and he, yeah, I can't remember exactly. What happens to Malkador? Does light shine yeah, out from his got, eyes? He's he's got yellow bright eyes, you know. Yeah, um, and he basically talks briefly to Korax and then touches him, I think, on the head. Um, Gives him his wisdom. Yeah, and then he had what I can't remember exactly what Korax sees in this sort of I, vision. I, I I wrote this down because I thought this was fucking mental when I when I was reading it. Okay. So he had a, a vision of the emperor on the golden throne, which is for the first time we really hear a proper description of the golden throne. And it is a building sized thing um, with the emperor sort of at the peak of it. If you think of like a, a, a rough pyramid shape. I think of like a, wed a wedding king. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not unlike that, but up on sitting on the, the throne at the top, is the emperor and he's fucking struggling and he like all his concentration is going on something and uh like he's the sweat is pouring from him and stuff like that and he 
speaks that then that all fades away and then it's like a landscape scene i'm thinking the windows 95 <laughs> default uh screensaver uh with the with the emperor just kind of dandering around he's having a nice time and then they have a chat and korax says korax somehow knows oh no well korax says like i want to uh i still want to fight for you uh, i still want to be loyal but i don't really have a legion anymore um give us some wisdom give us something so that we can like i can give up my legion for you you know we can basically throw ourselves <coughs> into the fire uh, and he's like oh you you want to sacrifice your legion what's up with that and Korax goes, do you know anything that has just happened? And um, the emperor says, right, I can give you, I can help. I can help here. And this is the bit that I find fucking nuts. Because remember, this is a vision. He he lays his hand on him again in the vision and says, this is here, here, right here, yeah, here, have my wisdom. And he's like, he's giving him a vision inside his other vision <laughs> nested visions so this is and the so, time inside this vision equal to like and you know yeah. of time in the other vision <laughs> yeah then he gets Korax gets the jump and he, gets, he pops back up um but yeah and, and from from that um from that touch he gets like all of well some sections of the emperor's knowledge and he knows that the emperor has been alive for 30,000 years and he gains the knowledge of the primarch project um what created him and his brothers and what created the uh thunder warriors and the uh, astartes and um he's given some information on where that all took place the how to get to it and the sort of science behind it all so that he can rebuild his legion and bring the fight back to Horus. Yeah, and and yeah, the Emperor sort of, is, his physical appearance is um, described at one point here, but, and it's kind of broadly similar to Korax, but it is said here that he essentially has no, you know, does not have a single physical form so it's like yeah he's this is obviously presumably this is a form he's taken to because this is the part of him that you know was represented in you know the corax uh, as one of his sons um but yeah it does sort of specify that he uh corax yeah, says something like is this your real face and he goes oh i don't have one <laughs> I've used lots of the other ones. Oh, and another interesting thing he says, he like tells him about the webway, the thing that he's working on. Um, and he says that we can, we can use it to travel the universe without using the warp because the warp has loads of demons in it. Remember those things? And <laughs> Korax went, oh, but they're made up. And he was, no, in fact, they exist. 100% real. real like, in a line. He goes like that, and Corex just goes, "Oh, weird." Okay, <laughs> it is pretty weak stuff, as description goes. That would be a fantastic way. <laughs> weird. Um, and so, and he makes him swear an oath. He says, "Like uh, this knowledge I've given you, all this machinery, if it falls into the wrong hands, it can be used to like unmake everything I've done." So. You have to swear to destroy it, to use your legion to destroy it, to give up your lives to destroy it if necessary. Yeah, um, and and this was like this is sort of where the story for me was to kind of quite an unexpected turn because um, now so they using the the memories of the emperor that had been implanted into him through this vision, Korax now sets off with some of his raven guard in tow and some custodians and a um, mechanicum, mechanicum guy with a couple of surf gun servitors with him. They, and it should be pointed out that, as we totally said earlier about the Alpha Legion um, infiltrating the, the uh, raven guard, and there's one of the, the story, one of the sort of points of view in the book is following one of these um guys uh in and he doesn't know how many 
other Alpha Legion people are in there, who they are, but he's in there trying to infiltrate and find out what uh, Korax is up to. And he um, is part of this group that goes um, to look for this tech. So they, they go, um, so the, the Emperor has sort of hidden this away so it would never be found, but it's like inside a mountain and Korax, Korax knows that he's got to like tap different bits of the mountain to <laughs> make it open up. Um, so they get inside, and it's just like. Could I? I just want to say, like, this is the greatest science ever known, and there are all different types of cunning uh, defense. But the first one is a a knock knock code, <laughs> and if anyone wants to know, the code is knock 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 knock. Knock knock. <laughs> so if you do that on the side of the Himalayas, um, a, a big door will open for you. Uh, in once you get inside, it's a bit trickier. In fairness, yeah, it is a but... bit. It is a bit trickier, and because this is a sort of like, I mean, the story at this point it kind of became this like weird sort of Indiana Jones in a temple yes, type thing. That's exactly what it. I thought it's like some kind of Indiana Jones caper or something now with like clockwork. Uh, like what would you call it like clockwork moving pathways and yeah it was, uh, changing rooms and all this kind of stuff so the emperor is basically to defend this tech he's built a kind of fun house of like traps and um mm -hmm. inverting rooms and yeah. like um all kinds of like tricks robots with guns gun turrets all of this stuff and like this massive complicated thing and it's all driven by like the it's managed to remain completely random, it says, because it's driven, it's like ice, it's, uh, water melting from the glacier on the mountain above uh, sort of powers yeah, the machinery. The patterns of it. Um, yeah, it's like a, a sort of um, a random number generator almost powered by that the melting of a glacier. I, I thought that bit was fucking cool. Yeah, this, I, I, this whole bit was cool. It was like, it was wild, but it was cool. Like, and so the, the stuff that goes on in here is like rooms change their orientation, bridges appear, passageways appear, gravity can change within some of these chambers, uh, guns pop out of places, weird like poisonous, poison spewing spheres emerge. Um, yeah, all kinds of shit, right? And like Korax is like, because of that randomness, he knows there's not like just a simple one thing he can do to get through this. But he kind of he knows enough to be able to kind of react and deal with the um, the traps the emperors set. I mean, at this point, when this was going on, I was like, it'd be really handy if the emperor had just like set up some way to turn this shit off, you know? But like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he hasn't, it appears. So they have to go in at great risk of their lives. Some of them do indeed get killed. So they're going to separate squads that are all being kind of... Uh, Korax is, is um, telling them all when exactly when to move and where to move. So it's like um, he knows that if this thing happens in one bit of the sort of maze, it will open up this other thing, which will allow a squad to get, to get through. But um, like a bunch of them do like get killed in this bit mm -hmm. and and this is kind of where um the story makes a point of saying that like um alpharius the guy that's infiltrated uh it's just called alpharius because he's one of the alpha legion he he actually sort of saves one of his um his uh sort of squad mates uh in the in the squad that he's infiltrated um from from dying and there's a sort of it it sort of emphasizes that he was kind of he felt an affinity with them, um, even though he knew he was there to, you know, ultimately destroy them, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's obviously something that's going to follow up in the second. That's going to be followed up on in the second part of the story. But, um, yeah. And and then it cuts to Omegon, and he is meeting with Grandmaster Eloki back on uh, Kiavar. And he has a member of the... Dark Mechanicum, or what they call the Mechanicum cult of the Order of the Dragon, and I'm guessing that that goes back to. Do you remember the um, the dragon that was killed by um, the Emperor, 
and uh, he he buried it on Mars. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm guessing that's it. That they are somehow on the side of the dragon in that fight, and um, they are laying more groundwork for the revolt on the homeworlds of um, of the Raven Guard. And um, yeah, that's it. Felt wrong to end the reading there, and it turns out it was wrong. <laughs> <It's> totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, the last line, so we finished the end of chapter 8, turns out part 1 ends at the end of chapter 9, so it's going to be a bit weird, um, but probably, but um, that's as yeah, far well, as we've gone, so that's what you're getting. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's essentially where we left it, so I think like one of the custodies had just been like chewed up by an acid-spewing silver globe, and Arcatus, who's the leader of them, was basically saying, like, because he'd agreed to go with Korax, even though that's not really what he was sort of ordered to do. And he was like, look, he better, he's going to hold him to his word, basically, and say this better be worth it, essentially. Um, but that's as far as we got. So, um, thanks for listening, everybody, as always. Um, if you want to get in touch, we can be found at horusheretics at gmail.com. Um, we'll be back in two weeks to finish off part one and. <laughs> start and finish part two of this book and um yeah so until then uh, see you see you then